I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 251. And today on the show, we are recapping my 2018 Michigan rut hunts, and then we're joined by Michael Hunsucker and Skylar Worsick of Heartland Bowhunter to chat through their rut success and lessons learned. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today, today we kind of have like a two-part podcast because we have our usual intro that me and Dan like to do, but I feel like it's going to be a longer intro than usual because we've got a lot to share. Um, We haven't talked about my hunts at all for the past couple weeks, so I want to spend a lot of time there and catch up a little bit with some stuff going on with Dan. But then we also do have guests on the show too, so part one is Dan and Mark BS extended version. Part two, we are joined by Michael Hunsucker and Skylar Worsig from Heartland Bowhunter. And we're going to talk about their recent rut hunting success, a couple amazing hunts they had, and kind of use those two stories to dive into their rut hunting tactics, some of the things they've learned, some of the things they you know recommend that we try as well as we continue on through the month of November and uh, and the second half of the whitetail rut. So that is what we have in store. Um, but Dan, part yes, one, sir. part one is you and me. And the first thing I got to know is, are you still kind of soaking and basking in the glory of having filled your <laughs> Iowa tag? Are you, are, you, are you on that high still, or are you back down to earth? Um, well, it's kind of funny, right? Because tonight I got brought back down to earth hard, right? I was, uh, <laughs> and here, so if you're the kind of person who hates to uh, hear the stories of my, my life and my kids, you might as well just like fast forward a little bit. <laughs> fast forward 20 minutes. <laughs> I was sitting here in my office, right? And I had to give my, my youngest son and my, uh, my two, my two boys a bath tonight. And <laughs> reality came crashing down when the youngest one pooped in the bathtub oh, no i tell you if you are like you can't, I mean, he's, in di- he's in diapers right i mean he can't get he can't get out he's he's like 18 months 
I think, or no, wait, September. So he's he's only 14 months old. So like he can't he can't say, Dad, I gotta go, I gotta dump. Right. So he uh, he ended up just going right in the bathroom. And for for anybody out there who has kids whose kids have pooped in the bathtub, you know, like, you know that it sucks cleaning up poop out of a bathtub because, <laughs> because there's two ways to do it, right? One, there's to stuff it down the drain, which you don't ever want to do. And then <laughs> the other one is you got to pick it up, right? You, oh, you might, man. and you don't really want to use a drinking cup to like scoop it in. You, <laughs> I, I just go raw dog, pick it up, throw it in the toilet, flush it down, wash the hands, right? Oh, man, but then you got to clean out the toilet. Then you got to clean out, or then you got to clean out the bathtub. So, wow, man, this vacation's is a, over. Yeah, vacation <laughs> came to a screeching stop. <laughs> wow, yikes! I have yeah. not had to do anything like that quite yet. So, um, it's coming, bud. It's man, coming. That's crazy. <laughs> but I tell you, I'll tell you what, though, man. Uh, I've been staring not necessarily at the rack itself, but I've been staring at the part of the wall where he's going to hang and I'm just visualizing what he's going to look like. That is a good feeling right there. Knowing, uh, you'll be able to look up at that and, and, uh, remember that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Would you, so where is it? Is it going to be in your office or is it in like the kid's playroom that used to be your man cave? <laughs> no way, dude. I got the okay from the wife to move all my mounts out into the living room. Whoa. Yep. That's a big step. Yep. What have you been doing? It, right. I nothing. I don't know. <laughs> like maybe she's cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, dude. So you've been looking at the wall mount, uh, or where you're gonna put the mount? Um, have yep. you been looking at sheds at all? Oh, glad you asked, Mark Kenyon. <laughs> so I'm sitting here recording one of the Nine Finger podcasts, right? And I'm closing it down. And as the guy's kind of giving his final spiel, I look up at my I look up at my wall of sheds. Right, I have this bob wire drilled into the into my wall, and then I hang all my sheds off of it. And I look up at this one little shed that I found, and it has the characteristics of the buck I just shot. So I, and it's part of a matching set. I pull it down, and I look over next to it, and there's another shed that is from the same area. I like, I have this wall full of sheds and I kind of keep them all separated. So like one part of the farms over here, one part of the farms over here, a completely different farms hanging over here. So I kind of keep it separated. So I know that everything comes from a specific area. And wouldn't, you know, when you and Mr. Corey fall came down on that shed hunt, I think it was like 2015. Yeah. Yep. Me and him, found a matching set in a cornfield, right? In like buffer strips, right? Wasn't yep. buffer strips to the field? Yep. There's uh, some, some taller grass, like, yeah, buffer strip, erosion strips, whatever you want to call them. He found one on a terrace. I found one in a buffer strip. And he's like, you know what, dude, just keep this shed. Because we were split up, right? We didn't know who found it first. He just, he gave me the match set. And I was like, Okay, you know, put it, hang it on the wall. It's a cool match set. Next year, I go out a couple times, uh, pull another a decent shed off of it, and then that would have been sixteen, and then seventeen, the se- the year of the seventeenth, um, which would have been uh, a shed hunting season in March of 
18, I found a, uh, his shed. So I have two, let's see. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is how, how it goes. I have his two-year-old match set. I have a, uh, a right side from his three-year-old. I have a four-year-old, his, the big side I found last year as a four-year-old, and then I killed him as a five-year-old. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, so, that doesn't happen very often to have that many sheds off one deer. Especially not uh, where I hunt. Um, because you know there's so there's so much space for them to roam, and they go they go somewhere else typically uh, during the winter. Like other farms have you know, lots of food food plots and whatnot. But it's kind of cool. This is the first deer that I've ever shot that I actually have shed antlers to. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So how or what are you gonna do? Do you have like, some idea of how you're gonna? Like, are you going to somehow try to include the sheds with the mount or like place them nearby or, or like on a table underneath or anything? Or are you just going to keep them up on your barbed wire? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I would like to incorporate that into the mount somehow. And I think I need to um, go back to my taxidermist and ask him, you know, if he's got any thoughts or ideas. But uh, yeah, I'd love to have maybe like some kind of cool braided rope or something hanging down off of the backside of the mount that I can slip at least the big one in the, the one I found from the year before. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's just, I don't know. I love shed hunting. Yeah. I'm right there with it. I was already the, I can't remember what I was doing. I think I was just driving and I found myself daydreaming about shed hunting season. <laughs> and you realize that you're in a weird place. If it's the middle of the rut and you're already daydreaming <laughs> about shed hunting. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I tell you, um, but no, I did. I haven't, I haven't been out to hunting since, um, I'm going to try to, my, my wife wants to go, uh, shotgun hunting this year or take part in the shotgun season. So depending on it, what the weather's like and how busy we are, if we can find daycare, I think I'm going to take her out. But other than that, man, just back to the grind. And I, I sit back and I always think like, dude, hunting is hunting so much fun. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and I love killing deer, especially when it comes, you know, it comes to fruition a couple of days into your rutcation. I mean, I shot my deer, I shot my deer on Sunday and I found him on Tuesday and he was in the taxidermist by what Tuesday by Wednesday afternoon and my season's over, right? Especially for archery. So I love watching the rut unfold and it's just one of those things where you, you, I'm sitting back in a cubicle now wishing I, I, I wasn't tagged out. It's crazy. This is why you need to start hunting out of state. Dude, trust me. I, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I, but, I couldn't even imagine what it would feel like to fill your tag on November 3rd or whatever it was and then just be done for the year. That seems like appalling to me. Right. So part of that's lack of preparation on my part. I... I feel that next year I'm going to have a backup planned so that if I do tag out early again, uh, I'm going to have some place to go. Yeah. So, or I have a, a, like, I don't know whether it's going to be an out of state rut hunt or if it's going to be like a mid to late October out of state hunt. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so many good States in your neck of the woods there that you can get to relatively quickly. Um, yeah. it's not like I'm forcing you to go to Michigan and, and, hang out with the peasants <laughs> <laughs> slip over to Illinois or something. <laughs> right. 
Oh, I, and I got one more thing for you before, and I definitely want to start hearing the story about your your rut. But okay, so there's been reports. You know how I said all the big deer kind of disappeared yeah. this year. Yeah. There's been reports that we have had a big EHD outbreak in really? in the area. Ugh. Now, typically, I've never personally had any of that on my farms that I hunt. Like I've, I've never gone out and found a ton of dead deer. So when farmers and other guys start talking about it this time of year, you know, something's up, right? Because I'm hearing a lot of things where, Hey, I got, I had some big deer not show up and I've had, or, and I've, or guys finding some deadheads already. So I'm just kind of curious what shed hunting is going to, bring what uh what my trail cameras are going to show after the rut is over when i go back to check them again you know to see if some of the big deer actually did show up or if they didn't so that's scary yeah i know i know but let's hear about you because i know that you're chasing a a really good mature buck in michigan that you've been playing cat and mouse with for it seems it seems like it's the same story, right? It, you're, it's just not Holyfield. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, it just seems to be what happens to me now as I get in with these bucks and get in these interesting back and forths. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I, what's today? Today is the 15th of November. It's been 14 straight days I've been hunting. And then before that, it was a two day break for meetings that I had to go to. And then before that, it was eight or nine days before that straight. So, What's that? Eight plus fourteen is twenty-two days out of the last twenty-four I've been hunting, I think, um, wow. or something like that. And um, I'm getting a little worn down, my friend. I'm wearing down, wearing thin, um, yeah. and some just some just crazy close calls. I I don't know, man. There have been some fr- very exciting moments, but very frustrating moments. So I guess let me let me just give it to you. And you feel free to pry wherever you've got questions or thoughts as I kind of run through this. Um, but, you know, I had my Nebraska hunt, great hunt out there, came back, and um, I knew that I had that hunt, and then I knew that I had to go to Montana for two days of meetings right in my typical time frame that I'm starting my rut hunts. Um, I was going to have to be gone on Halloween and November 1st, so I was kind of terrified about that. Um my plan had been to start hunting on Halloween for Holyfield. So get back from Nebraska, decide to start hunting a couple days right after that because I'm going to miss Halloween November 1st. So I hunt, I think it was like the 27th and 28th maybe, or the 28th, 29th, something like that. Kind of uneventful hunts. Didn't see much, um, young buck or two. Um, there's these two bucks that I have been talking about in the past. Um, Survivor. Do you remember me talking about Survivor in the past? Yep. He's this deer that I thought was a three-year-old last year, and so I was passing him and hoping he'd make it to be a four-year-old this year. But I started seeing him this year, and after getting a bunch of pictures and now a whole lot of sightings of him, I actually realized that I must have overestimated him last year. I'm pretty sure he must have just been a nice-looking two-year-old last year because this year I just don't see any way he's any older than three. Um, So Survivor's a three-year-old this year, so he gets the pass again. And then there's this other buck. Um, who I've started to call Tran, who is also a really nice three-year-old. Um, so those two bucks are on the pass list. 
Uh, so coming in, you know, this time frame, I'm seeing these deer bunch, still waiting on Holyfield, hoping he's going to show up, hoping that's within be shooting range. Survivor yeah, turn. Deer, yeah. Um, let me think about this. I've had them like right on the edge of shooting range. Like if I, okay, not like a slam dunk shot, but I've just decided like, I don't want to shoot them. Right. I'm kind of at the point where I, it just, a four-year-old is what gets me excited now in this area. So yeah. I, I would love to see these two deer make it. Um, but other than those two deer and a bunch of like other two-year-olds and year-and-a-half-olds and stuff, I hadn't been seeing anything mature at all. So I was coming into this rut thinking, man, if Holyfield doesn't show up, I might be hunting nothing. There might not be a single deer I'm interested in hunting. So I go to these meetings in Montana, and as I'm in Montana – I get a tip from someone who saw a really definitely a mature deer, a nice buck that was out on this property that I could hunt. I get this tip. Gotcha. And then I get a tip that they also saw this deer the next day too. So the two days that I'm gone, this new mature deer is on this farm I can hunt. So I'm finding this out and I'm like stressing out like of course like the one time I have to be gone on Halloween, November 1st, a shooter buck shows up. I finally have a deer I could hunt. It's a nice deer, and I'm not there. And this is a deer that, after I got to see him, turns out it's a deer I know. This is a buck that, in 2016, I got one trial camera picture of him in December. He was a three-and-a-half-year-old, nice 10-pointer. In the following spring, I found his shed. And this was that year I was oh, looking okay. for Holyfield. I was looking for Holyfield shed, and I found this really nice one. It was my best Michigan shed ever. Um, and it turns out, though, it wasn't Holyfield. It was this other buck. Right. So that's that nice Michigan shed I found in spring of 17. And okay. then in last December, this mystery buck shows up on the property I can hunt one day in late December. Me and Furter are hunting, and this buck goes running across the property, and I see him like, whoa, that's a nice buck. Never seen that deer before. Um, saw him then, and then fast forward to January, see this buck once more um, on a different property, neighboring property, out there feeding in a bean field, uh, missing one of his sides, so he shed. So then this spring i went over to that property i had permission to shed hunt it and i shed hunted the the, the scoured it trying to find this deer's antlers couldn't find him this year but never really expected to actually be able to hunt this deer he only he was on the i saw him once during the hunting season last year once got pictures of him once the year before that um never a deer that's consistently on the farm i can hunt but now here he is on october 31st and november 1st my wife decided to call this buck Frankenstein because the fact he was first sighted on Halloween. So I'm calling okay. Frank, calling Frank, uh, Big Frank for short, or <laughs> Frank for short, Big Frank if you want to give his full name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Halloween he's seen, November first he's seen. I get home, I fly like a red eye. I get home at like, oh God, what time is it? I don't know. I think I got to bed at like one thirty or two a.m. when I got home. That would be at the morning of November 2nd, and then I'm back up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. to go get in the tree that morning. I hunt up in the area of this property where he had been seen 
that day, November 2nd, but I don't see him at all. I think I saw Survivor and I saw a bunch of other young bucks and does, but nothing. So my assumption was, well, kind of like what I expected. This buck probably just got on a hot doe, came over from whatever farm he usually lives on, happened to spend two days with this doe locked on the property I'm in, and then he boogered back to his home range. I missed my opportunity, back to square one. Still don't have pictures of Holyfield, no sightings of Holyfield. I think by this day, like November 2nd, I, I, I shared on Instagram that I kind of mentally turned the page in the fact that I just don't think that Holyfield's around anymore. Um, yep, saw that. Yeah, so I mean, at this point, I should have had something. I should have seen him. I should have had a picture. Um, I know there's still a chance, but I think it's a very, very slim chance, given he used to be such a homebody and so visible and always on cameras and now nothing. Um, hey, dude. I've had deer that, just like what you described, they went away for a year, came back. Yeah. So don't ever count them out until you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I'm holding on to hope. But it at least seems like this year it's not happening. Um, right. And that has continued to be the case since that point. So November 2nd, nothing great happens. But um, I kind of decide, all right, I'm basically going to be hunting for a random buck unless this Frank deer happens to show up again. Um, or maybe I'm just going to start hunting does here earlier because, because I just don't want to shoot one of these three-year-olds. Well, November 3rd, I'm hunting back in one of the main bedding areas. I was going to hunt. Nothing happened. So for the evening, I decided to move up to the front of the property again to that same area where Frank had been seen to just try one more time. And about an hour and a half before dark, a doe pops out into the food plot. And with the wind direction I had, I couldn't hunt this front. You've heard me talk about it a thousand times before. It's the same little yep. front food plot section where I hunted Holyfield a bunch. Um, and that just historically, it's it's been a pretty good spot for having bucks follow does out. It's, it's one of the main spots that does come out into in, in this time of year. Those bucks sometimes chase them out there. So I couldn't hunt right in the plot and get shots into the plot because of the wind. I kind of had to hunt the very southern tier of it or southern edge of the timber just beneath it so that I could at least see into there, but I didn't want to blow my wind until it's all this bedding. So about an hour before dark, like I said, doe pops out, and then I just see tines come out of the tall grass, and it's Frank, and he's a nice buck. And um, I watch him go out into the food plot following this doe. He walks right in front of my tree stand and my bail blind that I have set up on this thing. I'm just sitting like, oh gosh. I, how I, far how far is he from you at this point? Probably eighty yards, I'd say. Okay. All right. Um and he's he gets to within five yards of my bail blind and he probably is like fifty yards from the tree stand. Um but I just I could not have hunted either one of those spots because of the wind. It was blowing straight from them into the bedding where I assumed that if this buck was here, he'd be back in there and I I knew I couldn't hunt it. So Long story of this is I'm watching him follow the doe, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, he's out of range. I could try calling, but I just kind of see what he's going to do, where this doe is going to take him. And if it gets to the point where I know he's not going to come my way, then maybe I'll throw a Hail Mary, like challenge him with a snort wheeze or something. I don't, I didn't have very high, high hopes of pulling him off the doe, but sometimes maybe you get him to storm over 40 yards and stare you down, and maybe I can get a shot. So I watch him for a long time. He's locked on this doe. I actually watch him breed this doe right in the middle of my food plot, um, right in front of my blind, and I'm, I'm sitting, you know, sitting in the saddle, 75, 80 yards away, watching that. So that's the first time I've ever seen. I think that might be the only time I've ever seen a buck breed a doe. Definitely the only time I've seen a mature buck like this breed a doe. 
Um, yeah. So very, very cool to get to see that. I mean, just like a incredible encounter. Um, but the the story ends sadly in that she finally takes him away, takes him off into this thick stuff. I tried snort wheezing at him. He, he looked at me. He took a few steps, puffed up. I mean, he looked like he 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 looks like a kind of kind of buck that beat you up. Um, but he did not end up coming my way, and he just followed that doe. Went up into this thick, brushy, grassy junk that um, that he'd been seen in in the past. So the next morning, my thought process was: all right, he's been in this thicket the last two mornings, I think, or something like that. Last two days, he was in this thicket with a doe. I thought, all right, there's a good chance he's going to be there again. And if that doe transitions back through here, maybe she'll stop in the food plot on her way back to the bedding cover. So. With the wind direction I had, I had to take a really big, long, roundabout way around the whole north side of the property and sneak in from behind, cross the creek, and then to get up into this bail blind. And while crossing the creek, it was it had been raining the past, I don't know if, if when was this? I guess this was November 4th or something. It had been raining yeah. a lot in the days before, so the, the creek was really high. I wore hip, hip waders in, and it still went over my boot. I kind of slipped, and it filled my boot, so soaked my socks yeah. and pant leg before the hunt. So I get into the bail blind. Yeah, it wasn't a good start. Get in the bail blind. I'm wet. I just take off my sock. I take off my boot. It's a disaster. But I still feel like I, I, he might be up in the thicket. And if he's up in the thicket, he might come by. And I was really excited about that. So I, I can't remember. It was half an hour, hour after daylight, something like that. Um, I see this doe in the tall, brushy thicket stuff, working her way back towards the cover, back towards me. And I'm just watching behind her, watching behind her, watching behind her, and then bam, there he is. They were back in there again. So they start coming down, but I see that they, instead of coming back on the north side, which is where I was now, they, they're coming back on the south side, which is where I was the night before. Now, the wind that I had is what made me think I should go to the north side instead of sitting in the same spot I was at. So I kept having to make these adjustments because of the changing wind directions. I wanted to be in this little area, but just make sure I wasn't going to get winded. So unfortunately, he switched sides on me. And while this is happening, I'm watching the doe and watching the buck. He's maybe 100 yards away now. Just They're taking their sweet time, kind of just slowly. She's kind of feeding on maple leaves and stuff. He's just standing behind her, occasionally rubbing on a tree and stuff. Um... At this point, I'm going to share a story, Dan, okay. that that you will never hear Mark Drury share. You will never hear John Eberhardt share a story like this. You will never hear Don Kiske or Steve Rinella or anyone respectable in the hunting world. They will not share this story. I'm okay. going sh- to share this story because I know that people need laughter in their lives. And <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm just going to ask you all to reserve judgment. Don't don't judge me. F- fast forward if you want to if you want to continue thinking of me as a respectable adult. <laughs> um, <laughs> because what happened in the next moment is the most catastrophic moment of my entire hunting career, Dan. Okay. I'm watching this big mature buck following a doe, kind of slowly making their way towards me, but not quite. And I have the most devastating rumbling stomach oh, of my yeah. life. Like bad. And I'm Are you I'm, in the you're in the blind. I'm in the blind. Okay, good. All right, keep going. I'm in the blind and I have 
a bad situation coming together. And I know this, and I'm thinking like, okay, hold together. You are not going to have an emergency while this buck is coming towards you. Hold together, hold together, hold it together. And my body keeps telling me, Mark, this is happening. This is happening. (laughs) This is happening. (laughs) And I keep on trying to think. I'm like, I mean, this is full-blown, like, contorting my body in any way I possibly can to try to maintain control of what's happening. But eventually I realize I have lost control of the situation. This is a now or never moment. You, This is fight or flight. Adrenaline is pumping. Every part of my body is on edge. I'm trying to figure out how do I handle this situation without scaring away this deer that's walking near you. So in a moment of pure panic and sheer I don't know. Uh, I, I found my handsaw. I dug a hole in the bottom of the blind with my handsaw yes. while tearing off my jacket. I ripped off my bibs so fast that I broke the buckle of the bibs. <laughs> and I, I, I was in a, like a backwards crab position over a hole inside of my bail blind yes. while watching a mature buck out the window and dealing with my situation in what I now call the poop blind. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I'm glad dude, I'm glad you did that. I, I know cuz I would have got mad at you if you went outside and spoofed the deer. Oh no way. I would have done the exact same thing, Mark. So no hate, no judgment, bud. Yeah, man, you got you can't spook the deer. I mean <laughs> No. Dude, that... I'm notorious for sky dumping. So it's not like I'm going to like judge a guy who poops in, a, in in his own blind. Yeah, man, we're now we're now two peas in a pod. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I I took care of my business. I buried that stuff, put my chair back over top of it, and I'm hunting again. <laughs> so did you have to cut a sleeve off the shirt? Oh, no. Fortunately, I, had, I always keep TP in my backpack just in case okay. a situation like this arises. But I was, gotcha. down, I was down one bib buckle because of it. Um <laughs> And then I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I sure hope nothing comes downwind of me because even though it's buried, you know, I just didn't know what the situation was going to be. And like, did I just burn out this blind for the rest of the season? I just didn't know. And I'm text, I text my buddies afterwards and they're just dying. And, but I kept eyes on the buck. I kept eyes on the buck the whole time. And he didn't spook? He didn't spook. He didn't hear anything. He didn't smell anything. Um, I kept all my movement below the windows. So it was really about as stealthy and as on point with whitetail best practices as you can get when you have to make an emergency in the blind movement. Um, That's right. So I handled that situation, but unfortunately the doe led him away from me. Kind of went near the tree I was hunting the night before, so that gave me a hernia, um, seeing him go so close to where I was at again. Um, but p- passes passes through, heads into the east, and now I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave the poop blind because I don't necessarily like the idea of being in that any longer than I have to be. And he went, they, they transitioned into the bedding on the south side. So I now have this wind direction that does allow me to hunt the bale blind, which I hunt in the morning, or I could go to the tree, which is in the middle of the system, which allows shots to the north and the south. So my thought process was, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the poop blind. I'm going to move to the middle tree stand for the evening because that gives me shots to the north and south. And based off where this doe took him, there's a chance he, there's a, I thought a better chance that he might be on the south side of the bedding versus the north. Um, so I'd like to have the, the, the options there and the wind would allow it. So move to that stand, 
gets set up. I see some does, some young bucks, blah, blah. The evening progresses. It gets towards last light. I still hadn't seen Frank or the doe yet. But last light, I see this doe pop out right along the creek. And right behind the doe is Frank. And they go walking right by the stupid poop blind. And I can't shoot him. He goes on the north side of the poop blind this time. Goes directly downwind of the poop blind. And never flinches, never stops, never bothered by it at all. So I thought to myself, man, I I keep my scent control uh, program even in effect when going number two in the blind. So I was proud of myself (laughs) for that. (laughs) Um, But that was frustrating to see him walk right by where I was hunting the morning before, that morning. So I now had seen him the night before. I saw him the morning, and I saw him then that evening. So... I looked back then that night, I get back to the house, I'm thinking through what am I going to do tomorrow, what's the wind doing, what do I do, and I kept on thinking that every, almost every morning over the past like five days, he'd been sighted in this thicket up at the front. He'd had a doe, and now it's been like five days since he was first seen, and he'd been in this area like four out of the last five days, and I didn't think he'd be with the same doe, but he kept on being in this one spot in the morning. So I thought, all right, I need to try to get tighter to that spot. I'm going to, I'm going to operate off the assumption that he's back in there again. And if he's back in there again, three out of the four times he was there, he transitioned back through the timber, this thin little strip of timber. He transitioned back through that. Like he did that morning that I just described. So I decided right, I'm going to do a hanging hunt. I'm going to get in there like an hour and a half before daylight, hang a new set tight to this thicket. But because of the wind, again, I couldn't go straight to it from the road because that would walk right past where I think he is with the doe. So I went to the far south side of the property, went way down the road to a different access point on this property, way in the south, walked the far southern border now in a big circle to circle around downwind and out and about, came in from behind, snuck in from the backside now, slipped in there, hung a new set, got in my saddle, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in this area. If he's here, he's going to come by me with her if he's with a doe. So first light arrives. I'm pretty excited. I feel like I'm in the right spot. And I look up, and like 75 yards away, there's a tree just getting shook. And here's this son of a gun buck in there again. And he starts walking right towards me. He's like at 80 yards, and he's at 75 yards, and he's at 70 yards. And I'm like, holy smokes this is i actually did it i'm gonna pull off this running gun set more you know in the dark got set up in this spot i thought i could get aggressive and moving tight to this thicket here he is coming right in my way on a string he's ripped he stops starts ripping up another tree grass is like flinging up into his antlers and over on his back he's like trailing all these long grass strands through his antlers and his ears and stuff it was really cool i grabbed my bow i'm kind of swung into position waiting for him and then just you know, as he's kind of entering that next, I don't know, I don't know how this is for you, but I feel like when you see a deer at like, you know, 75, 85, 95 yards, like he's close, but he's kind of out there. But then you get within like 60 and then all of a sudden like he's in the zone. So bum, it felt bum, like he was, bum, bum, yeah. bum, bum, bum. Exactly. the heart starts going, the heart's really going. So he's just about to enter the zone and I'm right about to like, this is happening mode. And then this dang doe pops out of the thicket next to him and goes running off to the north. And he turns and he follows her off that way. And I had to watch this doe and that stupid buck go walking right by the poop blind again. 
at five yards, he stands in front of that blind, munching on brassicas, and she's there, and they go back and forth, back and forth, and several times she angles like she's going to come my way, and I get excited again, and then she goes back the other way, and, and it's gone, and he does it again, and then he goes back. and It's very stressful, high intensity, um, but frustrating, because eventually she takes him back into the cover, and they disappear, and and that was it for that morning. Um, so that was November 5th or 6th. I can't remember which day it was. And I hunt that night. Um, don't see them. And now this is where my memory is getting fuzzy. Basically, that is my last encounter with him. Is I'd seen him four days in a row or three days in a row, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Had the poop blind. Here he is again. Goes by the bail blind twice. I'm not there. Then I hunt the bail blind and he doesn't show up. And then I have to leave, which is really painful for me. But I had to leave because I had this meat eater uh, hunt that um, you know I, I couldn't get out of. So I kind of had it sounds to... to me like this meat eater thing is actually causing you more harm than good at this point. <laughs> at least for the hunt for this buck, it kind of <laughs> timing for everything was really bad. Um, but. After looking at cameras, maybe it wasn't so bad. But the the long story of that is, is that I was hunting with Steve on this uh, new West Michigan property that I had permission on that I've talked about. Um, Steve was yep. coming down with the crew, and we were going to film it for the show. So had to do that. So uh, we go to this property. I, I, the, the main thing I'll share from that whole – that was like five or six days we were hunting there. And it was relatively slow for a lot of the hunt. Um, things just – didn't go the way I wanted. There was more activity than I thought there was going to be. You know, we had we had Steve and a cameraman in one spot. We had me and a cameraman in another spot. Uh, Giannis was hunting in another spot. And then they had a fourth guy who was filming B-roll from another spot. So there was just, like, people all over the place. And that was kind of hard for me, <laughs> being a guy that really likes to keep impact low. And I'm seeing, like, four yeah. spots getting blown up every morning, every evening for five, right. six days. And in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, gosh, this is a disaster. Um, so it just, it, it did not panning out me and Steve, neither one of us killed a deer. Um, we each did have one close call with a nice buck. He had a really big one, um, coming to 10 yards, but he couldn't get a shot cause of, um, some tree limbs. And then I had, um, a, a, an encounter it was a heck of an encounter. We were sitting all day. It was about 1230 and um, we've been seeing some bucks chasing does and stuff that morning. So I was feeling pretty good about it. I was, we were deep in this timber along this ridge system. There's kind of a bench that connected two big ridges and bedding. And I assumed yeah. there'd be bucks cruising this ridge system. And 1230, I see a buck cruising, pull up my binos. I'm like, man, that might be, that might be a good one. Like we hadn't seen a single mature buck yet. And I'm like thinking like that, that looks better than everything we've seen so far. And he comes over the next rise and I look at him again. I'm like, oh man, yeah. That's a shooter. So I'm like telling my camera, like, I'm shooting this buck. And he starts coming in on a string. So I'm excited. Do you remember the picture that I shared earlier this year of that one buck with the huge brow time? It's really, just one one big brow time, one, right? Yeah, one side, really, really tall, like a 12-inch brow time. Right, right. Yeah, that's this buck. He's the biggest oh, buck boy. that we had on camera. And here he is coming right in. Now, I need to rewind the clock 30 minutes or so. Because it was a really cold morning, and I had brought an extra vest with me in my backpack. 
in case I got cold. So around noon, I was like, all right, I'm cold. I need this extra vest on. But it's not an outer layer. It's like an inner layer. So I had to take off my harness. I had to take off my outer jacket. I had to take off my release. And I put on my vest. And I put on all that stuff again. Now, now this buck's coming in 30 minutes later. The buck's coming in. He's approaching. He's approaching. He pops over the rise. And now he's in the zone. He's like 40 yards. And I'm like, okay, this is happening. He's coming right in. This is the moment where I, I grab my bow, and at this point, I usually clip on, right? You clip on your bow and get ready. So I go to clip on, and I can't. I reach for my release on my hand, and there's no release. I don't have my release on. <laughs> when I had changed all my gear, I put my release in my pocket while I was putting on the jackets, and then I never put it back on. Now I've got oh, this shit. giant deer at 40 yards walking right into me, and I don't have a release. So I panic. And the editor, the TV editor, is going to have a fun line to edit out because in this moment, I say, uh, I don't even know if I whispered. I think I almost like said it. I'm like, oh, I beeped up. <laughs> I just said it like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh I beeped up. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I scramble, try to find the release. I find it in my pocket. I grab it. And I don't even know how I did this. I must have been holding onto the bow of my left hand and like somehow like, I don't even know how I did it now that I think about it. But somehow I'm trying to get this release onto my right hand and I cannot get it on. Like I can't get the strap through the buckle. I'm like starting to shake because I'm so like – I wasn't freaking out about the buck. It was like this buck's going to walk right through in front of me and I can't get a shot because I can't get my release on. So I'm freaking out. I can't get the buckle through the belt or the strap through the buckle. And I just remember thinking, okay, Mark, slow it down. Like just focus on just – like I can't, I, I don't know how to describe to you why this is so tough, but it was really difficult in the moment to get this release on, but I got it on and I was so worried that when I looked up that buck would be gone, but I looked up and there he is at 20 yards broadside right there, but branches all over the place, uh. like not a single hole anywhere, like nowhere I could thread it through. And this, he's, a, he's there, he's huge. I mean, this is the best Michigan buck this, if I would, if I were to have killed this buck, he would be my biggest Michigan buck by far. Okay. Um, you know, he's m- definitely mature, five and a half years old, probably pushing like 150, which is a mega giant in Michigan, and he's right yeah. there, 20 yards. I've never been that close to a Michigan buck that big, and there's nowhere I can get a shot. But 10 yards ahead of him, I see an opening, so I position myself. All right, fine. This is great. I'm ready. I'm clipped on. He's just got to go 10 more yards. And he starts walking that way. I'm about to draw back. And then he hits a wall of scent. Uh. The wind had shifted back just a little angle. And he hit that thing like he ran into a concrete wall. And he just spun around and bounced off. And that was it. And then I, like, melted down after that. I was, like, shaking like a leaf then at that point. Um, So here's the question I have for you. Did you have any shots at him? before he was broadside at 20 yards let's say if you did have your release on yeah that was the big question and so after the encounter i looked and looked and i'm like could i have shot if i had my release and i was prepared could i have shot him and there was zero opportunities not a single place i could have shot him until he got past the wind um unfortunately this that this is the one spot like this is the downwind side of the stand that it was the one spot we don't want deer to go and so we, you know, hadn't cleared anything there. In retrospect, should have had something, but everything was in a rush. Nothing had been cleared there. We had shots everywhere else, but not to that spot. And so I felt better about the scenario because of that. If, if he had, if I could have had shots and I missed on those shots because of the release, I would have 
wanted to jump out of the tree. Um, so I felt a little bit better about that. The only thing that maybe I would have done different if I had had my release on and I wasn't scrambling for five or 10 seconds to do that. Maybe what I could have done is if I'd been thinking about it and in the moment, maybe I would have thought, Oh wow, he's approaching where our downwind side is. I need to try to turn him. Maybe I could have done a light grunt pointing the other direction and maybe could have convinced him to change his angle of travel a little bit, maybe, and pulled him in the other way. Um, I don't know if that would have worked or not, but that's the only other thing I guess I could have done differently if I hadn't had the release debacle. Um, but more than likely he probably would have just continued on the path he wanted to be on and he, they would have still winded us. Um, but that was, you know, that was the closest call I've had with the buck like that in Michigan. So to have it be right there after, you know, at that point it'd been like 10 or 11 days straight of hunting and all these close calls of Frank and, so afterwards, I was shaking and all. It was like adrenaline. And I kept like, I was just like, I kept saying, gosh, dang it, for some reason. I kept saying, gosh, dang it, gosh, dang it. And the cameraman must have thought I sounded like a complete idiot. And then he looks at me. He's like, he's like, are you shaking because of the cold or what? what's going on? And I'm like, no, man. <laughs> Do you realize it just happened? Like, that is my one opportunity of the year. I'm not going to have another opportunity deer like that this year. And it's gone. And it was there yeah. and gone. It was so close. Like, to have that deer at 20 yards and not be able to get a shot. Ugh. And, and that was basically it. You know, I had a few more days to hunt, saw some young bucks. Um, nothing came together, went back to the home property, the place closer to where I live, have been hunting the past few days, no more signs of Frank, um, no sightings. And now the orange army comes out, right? The orange army came out today. Today. And, uh, yeah, and I hunted today. I usually don't hunt here during gun season, but I did just because it's hoping maybe this deer, you know, might be around still. Didn't see him, but a lot of gunshots. Um, so every gunshot I heard, I'm just thinking in my head, oh, no, he's dead. He's dead. That was it. Um, but you just don't know. So, um, yeah. man, it's been 14 or 15 days straight. I'm tired. Um I got the brownie it. points worn out yet? The brownie points, amazingly, are still in effect. Like, my wife oh, wow. has been total champ. She's she's gotten to a new level this year, man. I don't even understand. I don't deserve it. Um, <laughs> she, you like, when I got back from Nebraska, I was gone for like six or seven days in Nebraska, you know, on that hunt. And when I came home, she would went and bought a bunch of groceries for my rut hunts, like for my all-day sits and everything. So she had, like, all my like rut hunting snacks and stuff all prepared for me. Um, she made a bunch of like frozen breakfast burritos so that each morning I could wake up and pop one of those in the, in the microwave and have a nice breakfast each morning before I head out for the all day sit. Um, you know, she's, she's constantly keeping tabs on like she's able, you know, she drives by and, and sees some of the properties that can hunt. So she's kind of checking them out, seeing if there's any deer out in the field, letting me know what's happening. Um, she today, she went, there's this website called Michigan buck pole. Um, it's basically a Facebook page where they share like everyone's buck pictures from Michigan. And, um, today I went to a local buck pole, um, at like a meat market here. There are a bunch of people show up. I don't, they don't do buck poles in Iowa, do they? No, no. So for those who don't know, it's a thing that I think it's like in the upper great lakes region. This is a thing where people like gas stations or butcher shops or, um, even at your deer camp and stuff, you'll have like a, a buck pole where everybody brings their bucks and you hang them up and then you see them and people mill around and talk about them and there's big buck contests and different things like that. So there's a local, um, butcher shop here that does this, has a great big 
buck pole deal. And so I went there tonight and we were there scoping it out, trying to see if Frank had been shot by someone else. We didn't see him. And as I'm driving home, my wife calls me. She says, I looked all through Michigan buck pole, looked at all the pictures. I don't see Frank on there. Like she was scouring to see if Frank got killed by <laughs> someone else on Facebook. I mean, um, she's really, uh, she's one of the kind. I got lucky. Yeah, so, my, um, I got back from my, uh, rutcation and my wife left town. No joke. <laughs> she was just, she was done with it. Done. Huh? Yep. She's like, okay, I'm out of here. And <laughs> went and went and saw one of her friends in a different town and, uh, came back refreshed. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad she's, uh, back on, on even ground. Everything's, everything's good in the Johnson household, right? That's right. As good as it could be, can be, as you know, as good as it can be. Yeah. At least you had a short rutcation. Yeah, well, I mean, eh, kind of, you know, it's a good and it's bad all at the same time. Yeah, well, it is what it is. It is what it is, man. And that's and that's kind of the story of my Michigan season too, man. It is what it is. I kind of feel like uh, my opportunities are waning. There's always the chance for late season buck, but this Frank deer, I don't, I don't think he lives on the property I can hunt, so I think that... He was in the area for that spell, chasing does and locked on to does, and he's probably back to wherever his home turf is again, and I might not see him again. I'm holding out a little bit of hope. You know, He spent more time than I would have expected, so who knows? Maybe he'll swing back through during late season again. Like He has been there once a year the last two years, so maybe he'll hang out a little bit in late season and I'll have a chance. But if not, if not, there's no bucks for me to hunt at all on that property at least. Um, so I'll probably turn to doe patrol soon. And uh, hopefully get back to the West Michigan property a little bit because there are bucks to hunt there, um, and that's going to be kind of the story of my season. It was uh, I kind of put all my eggs f- for the rut into Michigan, into the Michigan basket. I usually right. don't do that, right? I usually go to Ohio or Iowa or something. And um, this is the first year in like ten years, I think, that I just hunted Michigan during the rut, and um, didn't come together. But I did have close calls with two with two mature bucks, which is which is pretty good for this state. So I, I can't complain too much. I've been kind of bumming about it. I've been kind of hard on myself because it was like, felt like it was so close and it didn't happen. Um, and now, you know, I'd say it probably won't happen now that gun season's here, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus on the silver line and that I had some really, really cool counters that most people probably don't have. So, um, trying to, trying to stay positive. It is what it is. Yeah. So, that's it. That's my long Michigan story. Um, and that's our part one of this episode, I suppose, unless you have anything else you want to add. Nope. It's, uh, I can hear my kids starting to fall apart in the other room. So that's my sign anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good, good timing then. Then, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna hit pause for part one. We're going to then shift to part two with Mike and Skylar from Heartland Bowhunter. And we're going to talk about their rut hunts after this quick break. And we want to thank our partners now at Whitetail Properties for the support of this podcast. And I want to give a quick plug for one of their recent videos over on the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. And this is a quick one they did about how to score a buck. And, you know, this is something we've talked about a lot in the past, me and Dan on the podcast, that sometimes the scores of deer's antlers gets overblown. We, we spend too much time and attention on it. Um, glorifying the antlers too much above everything else. And and that's something I 100% think we don't want to do, right? There's so much more to a deer than his antlers. But I do think as long as it's something you're not 
you know, at least for me personally, I'm not going to say what you should do, but for me personally, as long as I'm not focusing too much on it, it still can be kind of a fun thing to see just to help you kind of get perspective about how this deer might match up to others, you know, how to quantify, you know, how unique or interesting or, 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 or special these antlers might be, yada, yada, yada. I like to score my bucks sometimes just for me to see. And that's why this video is helpful. If you want to score your deer and see how they actually do measure up, this video very quickly and easily walks you through how to do that. So it's over on the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. The title is simply How to Score a Buck, and they do a very nice job of explaining it in an easy-to-follow fashion. So check that one out. Um, like I said, antler score is definitely not everything, but it can be a fun little piece of the, of the pie that you can take a look at and um, helps kind of flesh out the story of your deer. So check that out. And if you want to learn more about Whitetail Properties, you can also visit whitetailproperties.com. All right. And here on the line with me, I've got Mike Hunsucker and Skylar Wersig from Heartland Bowhunter. Guys, thanks for hopping on the podcast with me. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And I wanted to to get you guys on here. Mike, it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show, and I don't think Skylar we've ever been able to pull you on, so so I'm glad to do it finally. And um I know that you guys have had some exciting hunts here recently. I've been seeing what's happened on Instagram. Kinda of wanted to get the full story on that. And I thought since it happened here during the rut, we might have like a good excuse to to dive into the hows and the what's and the whys and use those stories that you guys have to share as far as uh, your rut success here recently. So that's kind of where I wanted to go with our chat today. But but before that, I want to throw kind of a, a high-level theory or observation that I'm getting from a lot of people right now, and I want to see if you guys are seeing the same thing. I've heard from a lot of folks yeah. that the last week or so, when we're typically thinking that the rut's going to be popping, that it's going to be really great, a lot of people I've been chatting with and getting messages from have been saying that it's been one of the slowest rutting peak of typical rutting activity that they can remember. And that instead of it being so great right now, they were seeing the best rutting activity in late October. Is that something that you guys have seen? Or have you had the lights out rutting and chasing and seeking that you'd expect over the last 7 to 10 days or so? I mean, it's. I think it's been pretty, pretty good overall. Um, I, I think it's interesting because you always have people saying, "Oh yeah, like oh it's on," or "Oh it's locked down," or you know, day to day changes. And um, honestly, for for you know, for me personally, I feel like it's, you know, did you pick the right spot? Are you in? Are you in the right spot at the right time? Like, you know, yeah, one day, yeah, you might have a buck locked down with a doe, or they might be, you know, locked down, but like. You know, you can go to a different farm the next day, different area, and see something completely different. So I think it all depends on, obviously, the area, the region that you're hunting in, or even, even farm to farm. So um, I, I always I always laugh when people are like, oh, yeah, it's locked down. Like, it's locked down across the country. Every buck's locked down with the dough. Like, you know, I think it just really <laughs> depends on, on, on where you're at and, and uh, the area you're hunting. Yeah, that's that's very true. Skylar, have you seen anything different? Yeah, I couldn't agree more than uh what mike just said they're like for me personally this year it's been super slow like abnormally slow that's just my personal observation but uh i've had people that have been right in them you know and it's chaos and it's buck after buck chasing doe and doing loops and rounds and all kinds of stuff but but for me what i saw personally it was it was real slow but i know better i mean it it could be one ridge over and 
and one hillside over and, and not be in them. And that's where they're at. One property over, one farm over, just like Mike just said. So either you're in them or you're not. That's kind of uh, what I feel about it. Yeah. Now, now I know you just said, Mike, that, of course, you can't say it's one phase happening right now where we're at and it's going to be the same thing everywhere else. But if you had to kind of – this is the typical time frame that most people think that we're entering, quote-unquote, lockdown. It, do you feel like – are you seeing anything like that where you're at yet? Are you are you seeing bucks locked on does? Is it starting to slow down like people typically think of at that time period? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think so. I'm sure, you know, we're, we're nearing kind of the peak of the rut. And um, I'm actually out in, in, like, northwest Kansas right now, which is an area that um, – not super high density, but really open. And so you get a lot, of, you can really see a lot and you get to see a lot of what's going on. And, um, you know, between the, the several groups of people that we have in camp, um, I mean, people are seeing bucks. Um, several are locked down with those, but like I saw a big mature buck tonight, um, kind of by himself and, and all by himself. And he, uh, didn't have a doe and, um, wasn't able to get him, get him in bow range, but, um, you know, I, I, we're seeing a little bit of everything. So, uh, it's, it's so situational and so, you know, you know, farm to farm and just, it just, you never know, but, um, you know, Sean, like Sean's been hunting and, uh, past couple of days and he's been hunting this specific area that's like tight to a bedding area and he's having a crazy intense rut action. Like he's right on the edge of the bedding area. They're, they're moving all day. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not hardly slowing down at all, but if, you know, if you're off that bedding area, if you're hunting, you know, further away by food sources or, um, just f- further away from the core, you know, core areas, and you're not going to see and experience that kind of red activity. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, yeah, it's definitely the time when when most of the bucks, you know, the, most of those are in heat, and they they tend to get with them. Yeah, Do you- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think more of them going to be locked down right now this time of year, just like you said, Mark. To start it off with, but there's no way all of them are locked down, and so you better still be out there trying if you can. But um, but certainly that's probably why it is a little slower right now yeah. uh, because of that. But we got to keep trying if you can. Do you guys do anything different during quote unquote, or if again, we can't just say this is lockdown, but mid November when it's kind of peak of breeding, more bucks are going to be locked than aren't. Um, do you change at all what you're doing from a hunting perspective any different than what you might have been doing seven days ago or ten days ago, ten days ago when we're kind of assuming that most of the bucks are cruising around chasing trying to find that first doe? Are you sitting anywhere different or thinking through anything different, Skyler? Uh, for me, n- not any different. I try to focus on the uh, just the rut funnels, you know, where they got to get around certain terrain to get by your stand or kind of on the edge of a bedding area that's real thick or even maybe even right in it and kind of kind of dive in there and get pretty aggressive um because i think bucks potentially could have been locked down you know with the first dose even just a couple of weeks ago so um not really changing anything this week versus last week i'm still tr- trying to focus on those those bedding areas and those thick areas where they're going to push them into or be cruising through some funnels to get from a to b so yeah Mike, same thing for you, or do you have anything different twisty throwing there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know when when the bucks do get locked down, you know they're sticking tight to these areas and they're not letting the doe leave. And so uh, I think being closer to you know some of the some of the better bedding areas, or even like this time of year can be it's really weird with with some of the areas we hunt that have like higher deer numbers. It's crazy to where you'll see these big bucks isolate these does. They'll literally 
get them away in these really weird spots, try to get them far, far away from all the other deer because they're tired of fighting off little bucks and try, tired of getting harassed and, and they want to keep her, you know, to themselves. And so they'll run them up into these weirdest little areas. And so, um, you know, it, it's a time of year when you can kind of key on some, some non-traditional areas where, um, you know, that may be off. Like in Kansas, where we're at now, it's 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 really open terrain. And like a lot of the deer just run the creek and the, and the, and the river system and, and, and the draws. But there's little fingers that come off of each of these draws. And like this time of year is when those bucks will get that doe and they'll get her far away as possible from the creek and from the river system just to keep her out of the, out of the uh, tra- high traffic areas. And so... Um, if we're seeing some of that, we'll definitely like move in and hang some sets, um, you know, closer to that area. So, yeah, I've seen the same thing actually just recently earlier this month, I had a buck that was locked on a doe and he was taking her up into this little tiny finger timber that led out towards the road kind of, and then there were some tall kind of CRP type native grasses and there's, there's never buck activity there typically. Um, but for four days in a row, I think every morning he was in there with a doe and moving in and out of there in the evenings. And so I just kept on keying on it every day. I was like, all right, I'm going to assume he's back in there again. And every day he just about was. Um, so that is, if you, if you see that kind of activity, it does make a lot of sense to, to, to assume there's going to be some consistency and try to get tight to it. It, it didn't work out for me, but almost did. Um, but yeah. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of going in tight though, to, to like bedding areas and things like that, Mike, um, I just know a tiny bit about your hunt that came together for you. I don't know. It was about a week ago, maybe in Missouri. And I know I had to do a little bit with you making a move tight to some cover. So I kind of want to hear the story of this buck that you call Bovice, right? He's a six and a half year old yeah. in Missouri. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I come to find out six and a half year old. It's kind of funny. We, um, we thought, I mean, this is all guesstimation of course, but, uh, you know, we we had estimated him to be five and a half, um, you know, based on the trail cam photos and the history that we had with him. And then once I, I got to digging into, like, old photos from the first year that we had our, our property, uh, I ended up finding some photos of him from when he was uh, what we thought was two. So wow. we we, uh, we kind of underestimated his age and actually passed him up last year as a five and a half year old. So, uh, but he did get a little bit bigger, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, Sean and I were having a discussion talking about how, you know, with Missouri, with, you know, with, with the rifle season being right in the middle of, of uh, the rut, and this year was a little bit earlier, I think it was the 12th, it was last Saturday when it opened, and, um, you know, we always try to be cautious on how we hunt and how we approach things, and, um, you know, we don't want to blow deer out, we don't want to run them off, you know, off our property and, and have them get shot with a gun, and so, you know, we were always pretty cautious, but I, I felt like, you know, I was talking to Sean, I was like, man, I feel like we are a little bit too cautious. Like, we need some a little more aggressive, you know, sets that, that are sets that we're only going to hunt, you know, once, twice, three times a year, maybe this time of year. And uh, so, you know, we, we kind of started, like, keying in on, on, on looking at the on the maps and kind of finding where, you know, areas where we thought would be would be good. And based on prior, like, shed hunting knowledge and stuff like that, and, um you know, we've been, we, we've been seeing this deer for, for years. We kind of knew his core area. And, uh, so I, I kind of, I basically hung a new set specifically for, for this deer or one other deer. There's two, two, you know, mature deer that were kind of in this area. And, uh, it's a timber, you know, timber set that's in tight on the bedding area. And it's, it's, it's a big draw that the bucks just kind of cruise and they check all these little, 
these little coves in this in this draw and um i basically just wanted to get somewhere where we were you know in tight close to a bedding area that we had pretty good visibility and that we could actually you know call to deer like where, where we put the stand it wasn't a stand that like yeah we have deer walk by in bow range but it's, it's we're, we're off the edge a little bit to where we could really observe and, and if we see the buck call to him and and make the move so that's what we kind of did and um and it panned out it worked worked like a charm i guess <laughs> so so rewind a little bit for me though Tell, you you saw this buck for four years or five years or whatever it was what kind of encounters were you having him in these past years were you paying attention to him early on or was it kind of a deer that maybe last year or the year before you were kind of like oh wow this is a funky cool buck you know tell me a little bit more about the history that led up to this and if you know did any of that help you get the, the kind of final pieces together now yeah oh yeah it's um it's amazing that the, the way that we start logging our trail cam photos and keeping track of all our photos like and Skyler can touch on this too with his buck here in a, in a little bit but it's amazing to see the patterns year after year and and, and, and the areas they spend time in, in October versus the areas they spend time in in November and um yeah so we had been watching this buck for years and had several encounters with him Actually, this year in particular, um, we uh, had a couple encounters with him early season on a clover plot in October, um, and then a few days before I shot him, Sean's dad had a close call with him um, just off that clover plot. He was coming to the uh, this this corn mowed corn plot to check you know check for does and stuff. Uh, we had a lot of encounters with him. We you know over the years and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, and it's, it's interesting to see you know what cameras he's on year after year and what camera he cameras he isn't on. And you can really quickly narrow down his, his core area. And, uh, he was, you know, had a fairly small core area. I mean, I would say, you know, 300 acres ish. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we knew that he was using that area, frequenting that area. And during the rut, you know, that's, we have a lot of does, a lot of high deer density. And so they don't really have to leave and, and chase and run around too much to, to find those so uh, we knew he'd be in that in that area pretty tight how how are you hunting differently before the rut you you mentioned you're pretty conservative so is it mostly field edge food plot food source type of things and then right about in the last you know 10 12 days or so you start diving into the cover is that typically how you approach things or do you have a different way to go about it yeah yeah i mean i would say yeah yeah september october we're hunting you know mainly evenings, uh, hunting, you know, food plots, field edges, um, not really getting into the timber much. It's just, it's tough, you know, our, on our, on our particular property, you know, a lot of oak trees, a lot of acorns. And so, um, you know, they're just scattered. They're, they're not really concentrated and it's tough to hunt in the morning without blowing deer out. And so, um, we, we, we like to be conservative and they get, they get pretty regular, you know, in the evenings on the food sources. And so, um, that's typically what we're doing until, you know, mid third week of October, um, then we'll start hunting some mornings in the timber, um, and, and getting a little, little more aggressive. So, hmm. so in this situation, you said, um, you had, you know, Sean's dad had a close call a couple days beforehand. You decided that you want to sneak in here tighter. Now, did I remember, did I remember this right? That you hung a new set like just before the day you hunted it? Or was this back in the summer when you hung that set specifically for this deer then? No, no, yeah, we hung it. Yeah, we hung the set uh, the day before I killed him. Um, so we went in midday and hung the set. It was, it was. I knew it was going to be a. I anticipated it being a more of a morning set. 
Um, but we decided we we're going to hang it and just hunt it that evening, leave all our stuff in the tree and come back in the morning. Um, we were going to have the right wind, you know, both times and, um, you know, wanted to be pretty stealthy in the morning. And as you know, for, you know, just the, the, the filming side of things, I mean, we got a lot of crap in the tree, takes yeah. forever to set up and plowed and, and so uh, it's there's nothing better than literally leaving everything in the tree. Like my, I left my bow in the tree, everything. So That's like we just nice flip in the morning, <laughs> climb right up, and it's like I was like, oh, I remember what this is like. This is like when I first started hunting. Like you just climb up with your bow on your back and you're ready to go. Uh-huh. So, uh, but um, yeah, so we hung the stand. We hunted that evening and actually had a pretty slow sit, which I kind of expected. Uh, it was a little bit warmer, and um, you know we saw a few deer, you know, later in the evening, and and, and a buck chasing a doe, but. Um, that next morning, uh, it cooled off quite a bit and, um, it was perfect. Really. We got in there, we, we did bump, you know, I was afraid of bumping deer cause it's a more aggressive stand. Like I said, you gotta use a little bit of walk several hundred yards kind of through the timber and it's loud, you know, all the oak leaves are all over the ground. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm sure we're going to bump deer. Like you gotta just expect that and, and, and be okay with that. And it's hard for me to be okay with that ever, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we pushed in, uh, we bumped one or two deer maybe on the way in and got climbed in and had deer on us, you know, right away. First light had a little fawn come by. And then actually it was probably a little bit of a lull, probably 30, 45 minutes, which is what I was hoping. I was hoping the deer weren't going to be in there very much, you know, until later in the morning. And later in the morning, here they come, they start kind of filtering through. And we had a had a pretty steady morning from about, you know, probably an hour after or 30 minutes after sunrise until until I shot him, which was actually like 9.30-ish, I believe. So, so yeah, the situation you just described there, that loud walking, I just had this morning myself. I was heading into a stand, and it was it was like 14 degrees this morning. Everything was frozen and crunchy, and there was no wind. And yeah. as I got, I, <laughs> I, I walked across to, uh, into the timber, and it, like that first step in there, I was like, oh, God, like this is going to be a disaster. And so I'm always faced with this dilemma in that situation where I, I'm thinking in my head, do I just so slowly creep along and try to minimize the sound I make and just take forever to get to my stand and, and try to be a little more quiet, even though it's not that quiet? Or do you say, screw it, I'm going to make noise. I might as well just get to the stand as quickly as possible and get in it so that the length of time I'm making noise is shorter. Yeah, get it um, over with. Yeah, yeah. So, so I never know what to do. I, I bounce in between the two, it seems like. What do you do? Do you think that yeah. either one of those is better? Get it uh, over yeah, with. Yeah, the, the morning. <laughs> get it over with, he said, Sky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the morning that uh, the morning I shot Bovice, Joel and I were, like, creeping. We just creeped in. I was like, yeah, it's kind of loud, but I was like, we kind of sound like raccoons or whatever. And then, like, a deer, like, <laughs> ran off and blew, and I was like, come on. I was like, it was upwind. I was like, you didn't smell us. I was like, we could have just been raccoons. Like you're not blowing at us. No way. But right. yeah. Oh, uh, I know what you're saying. It was the same thing this morning here in Kansas, like dead calm. It was literally, I, I said to Brandon, I go, yeah, I go, uh, if there's any deer in the vicinity, like they're gone. So we're just going to get in the stand and hope that bucks come cruising. Like it's, it seems, it seems it's so contradictory to what we normally do, but it's, it's that time of year where it's like, you got to, you got you got to try stuff and you got to do it and you got to get into the right spot. So it's just I don't know. You just you kind of risk it and, and hope uh, hope you don't bump the the right deer. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like after today, I might be moving to the just get in there and get over it because it was just so painfully slow. And then I still spooked deer and it just felt like it was a waste of time. 
Um, I might be in your boat, Skylar. I think I like that idea. <laughs> That's the right call for sure. <laughs> um, it gives so, me anxiety every every step. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I just get I'm so anxious. I'm like, this is so loud. I hate it. And then you hear that bounding away or a deer blow, and just like your soul starts to slowly crumble away. It's the worst feeling in the yeah. world. And then yeah. you're like, well, maybe it was a high pitch. It was a high pitch blow. It must have been a doe. Or you hear like a really deep blow, and you're like, right. oh. Great, it was a big buck. <laughs> that was that was the only buck around here. I was gonna hunt. Whole hunt's ruined. What am I doing walking in there anyways yeah. now? Yeah, I know that uh, feeling too yeah, well. The, the unknown, the unknown kills you, but you, you know, it's one of those deals. You just, you'll, you'll never know. So yeah. So this this set you were in, you said it was a draw that there was a lot of deer bedded in. Can you describe though, like how you actually placed the stand within the draw? Like, were you up high on the ridge, or you right down near the bottom, or and how was the wind and all that? I'm kind of curious about like the real details of that setup. Um, yeah, so it was um, it was up top, like uh, uh, basically where it was an old logging road that ran down the top of this ridge and went all the way down to where the base of the ridge ran out and. Um, the ridge basically shot straight northwest, so we hung it for a northwest wind, north wind, west wind, you know, any any north or west wind, and uh, it, it kind of the draw ran out, and so we're kind of overlooking the main draw, and like it's 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 a big deep cut, and so like the deer, it's like got these little fingers and coves, and like the deer, I've seen them do it, you know, over and over and over, and all the trails you can just see when you shed hunt, and uh, you, you see all that, they 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 kind of just circle the downwind side of all these these draws and they kind of just basically run you know run these these little coves and so um i, I wanted to be up high to where you know we kind of see you know be at a pretty good vantage point um but also be in tight enough to where you know we'd be able to to, to get a shot off or call and, and have the deer deer come to us so um we were up high like we were kind of the, the tree was kind of off the ridge and so the set is probably like 25, 30 feet. It's a really, really high set because of the, uh, the ridge is a little bit above us, but, um, but it's a really good vantage point and, um, you can kind of see what's going on all across there. And so then did you end up seeing the buck and calling him in or were you doing blind calling and then he came into that? How did that all work? So, yeah, we had seen a bunch of deer and I actually like, we're, we're above this huge, like, off to our north or our right side, there's this huge bowl um, that drops off below the tree. And so it's a big, big, thick kind of, you know, area where it's kind of overgrown. And we've done some timber stand improvement, and we've done a lot of uh, prescribed fires in the area. So there's a lot of under undergrowth and thick, and, you know, the deer bedded in quite a bit. And I had uh, seen some deer back that way, and I was, I was giving Joel trouble. I was like, hey. You know, I'd spotted deer a couple of times back. I'm like, hey, that's your side of the tree. You got to keep an eye over there, man. <laughs> and uh, I, I look back and there's like this one, I had this one like lane where I could see for like a hun- couple hundred, like 120 yards, 130 yards probably. And I see a glimpse of a deer go through there. I throw my binos up on him and I see it's a good buck. I have no idea what buck it is or if it's a, you know, mature buck, whatever. I just saw the solid buck and he just vanishes. And I like, look, 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 look. And don't ever get another shot at him. I'm like, well, I'm gonna call because he's straight up wind of us. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some grunting and, and, and see. So I grunt, grunt a few times. And I'm scanning, 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 looking over the area, looking over the area, nothing. And I was like, dang it, man. I was like, I know that deer. Like, I know it was a good deer. I don't know what, which one it was. And so I'm, like, I'm gonna do a little, so quick rattle. So I grab the 
antlers and like not real hard or aggressive, but like, cause you know, he, the deer wasn't very far. So I just, you know, rattled lightly and, um, you know, not too long, probably 30 seconds and then set the antlers down and glass and glass and look and look and just expecting him to come and nothing. And so I was like, dang man, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what deer that was, whatever. And just sitting there and it's probably, I would say like probably two minutes went by maybe. And, uh, maybe three minutes. And all of a sudden I looked down below us in this bowl and it's kind of funny cause we're so high. We're like 25 feet up and this bowl drops way down. So it's like, we were probably like 50, 60 feet above this deer. And I looked down and there he is. He's like 45 yards, but just Jeez. way down low. And he's coming, he's just coming. And he's just like, not like, not like when you rattle in a buck that's mad and hot and like coming in, like charging, but he's just like zigzagging through all this brush and coming. And I put my binos on him. I instantly recognized you know who it was he just is heavy and has the flyer off his g2 and and uh he's kind of zigzagging through this brush like not on a trail at all so I, like coming right to our tree and so i knew he'd, he was coming to the call and uh so i i uh turn around got my bow you know and everything and I'm, and I'm he's coming on the back side of the tree and so i'm like man we hung this set it was a, it was a hanging hunt kind of deal you know, we didn't want to trim too much, didn't want to be too loud, and so we didn't trim a ton on the backside downwind, of course. And uh, here he comes up the hill, and and I see this little little clearing at like 40 yards, I range, and uh, draw back. And he steps into it, and and when he steps into, it, I see there's there's some branches, and there's no way I'm not shooting. So, but he's still coming up the the up the valley, and he's getting closer to where our wind is blowing. So I'm getting kind of nervous, but I had to spin all the way around the tree, and so I let down, spin all the way around the tree. And he's coming closer and gets real close to the tree. And uh, I draw back again. There's like some branches and trees in the way, of course. And I so I had to get down to kneel down. And Jeez. so he's like 20 yards. And uh, I'm like, I'm like not kneeling down, but squatting down 20 yards, you know, under these branches. And I asked Joel, I'm like, Joel, are you on him? And he's like, no, I'm not on him. There's a tree in the way. <laughs> and so I was like, oh gosh. And so like, I was like, all right. I look kind of look ahead of the trail where he's walking and he's, he's going to clear that he's going to clear the brush in about 10 more yards or whatever. And he gets about halfway there and he smells the trail where we walked in and he's like, puts his nose on some branches, starts like uh, smelling around how they do. And I was like, Oh no. And then he all of a sudden just looks our way and looks right up at us in the tree. And I'm at full draw and I'm like, Oh man, I was like, this is over. Like I, he was dead, dead to rights. At, eight, at like 20 yards and i was like it's done and you're you're and, you're, you know, you're full draw and you're kind of squatting down too and stuck yeah yeah oh my god yeah i'm squatting at full draw and just like yeah just oh my god this is this is done it's over and <laughs> i've you know you just know when those big deer those old mature deer like they just don't they just they just have a, a sixth sense about them and whatever reason he just like looks at us for like 20 seconds and just turns and keeps on walking and i was like no way and like he takes about five or six more steps. And at this point, so we crossed our trail where we walked in and he's like, gotta be like three or four steps from being downwind. And he finally clears the branches. So I stop him and Joel's on him and I release and, and, and like he stops, I settle in and like he starts to walk and which I don't see cause I'm like honed in through the peep and everything. And he takes a step as I, as he, as I'm releasing, which, so I hit him a little further back, but it's still this perfect shot, this high, you know, high double lung. And, uh, he took off and I knew instantly the blood just started, you know, shooting out and I knew instantly we, we'd got him, but it was just, I was a wreck, man. It was just, it was, it cooled off a bunch that morning. I was underdressed cause it was like super windy. So I was just like, I lost it. I was shaking so bad. And, 
and just the adrenaline rush and all that, you kind of hitting you, hitting you at once. But and if you can drop back like a face to face stare down, like it was just a, uh, I, I was like literally about to fall out of the tree shaking so bad. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Oh man, it sounds like that would take a year off my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I got gray hair, gray hair in my beard now. So. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's uh just about everything that could possibly happen in like a close encounter like that <laughs> that makes it stressful all happen in one for you that's that's insane um yeah i mean you know you you get you, you only get so many ch- chances you know and like i was talking to to joel literally i think like right before this i was like you know like the the difference between having like a an, a great year like your best year ever and a bad year is literally capitalizing on the opportunities you you know you only get we hunt you know, we get to hunt a ton, you know, we're really fortunate to get out, you know, more than, more than most people. But like, at the end of the day, you only get a handful of opportunities. And so like, you know, if you miss, you know, uh, two of those four opportunities, that's the difference between, you know, a great year and, and, and a slower year. And so, um, I just, I just saw that opportunity like slipping between my fingertips whenever he like stared us down. I was like, no, it's over, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, know uh, but cool. luckily it worked out. Man, right, that's, right place, right time. Like I said, <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice when it does all come together. Um, back to your calling and your rattling there. Um, you said you kind of rattled for thirty seconds, maybe a short rattling sequence. Is that your typical rut rattling, or what does your like usual rattling or calling kind of deal usually work or look at during the rut? Um, yeah, I mean that that particular time I, I rattled pretty short and, and concise so I knew the deer was close I didn't want to be caught moving that's my that's my number one worst fear is like being caught like rattling um but like you know normally I'll rattle for a little while longer um and I and I like to I, I usually like to rattle and then stop for a little bit and listen you know for a few seconds and then rattle some more kind of deal because like if you know you have deer coming in charging in on you um you don't want to be caught caught moving so um, I, I love I love calling I love I love being in in the you know position to where you can see deer and observe their behavior and call to them like that's the best obviously um, when you can you can kind of judge their their body language and uh, base your calling off that but um, but yeah I mean it's it's been you know rattling it's it's really hit or miss you know it's a lot like turkeys and decoys and you know just catching them in the right mood at the right time and um, you know it. it kind of hit or miss but um but i mean it, it's it's a fun way to do it and it's, a, it's the best time of year for it oh yeah so what about with the grunting and calling do you do you usually start with like a light grunt and then get more aggressive or do you like to be aggressive all the time or what kind of calls do you typically throw at them i i usually don't like blind grunt really like i feel like you know like a deer has to be pretty close to hear you grunt and and unless they're just like standing still and happen to hear it. But so I usually don't, you know, brunt, blunt or sorry, grunt blindly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's and like tonight I was like the buck that we saw, I had a decoy out tonight. And so I saw got guys got eyes on the buck and saw him and uh, was trying to, you know, see what he was doing. I was kind of observing his behavior, see if he'd seen the decoy yet. And he hadn't. And so I was trying to get his attention. And so like, I'm grunting, grunting and he's like 150 yards it wasn't that windy like pretty calm and uh i'm literally have my my binos up with my right hand and the grunt tube with my left hand like because i i have to like just see him when i when i do grunt to see if he hears me i grunted 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 and he like didn't hear anything i was like 
okay, I'm going to have to wait till he, like, stops speeding and rustling around. So he does, and then I grunt, and he finally heard me. So then I stopped, see if he saw the decoy. And so I think the key to a lot of the, the key to calling a lot of times is, like, it's, it's watching the behavior of the deer and seeing how they react. Because um, you don't want to overcall, you know. I mean, it, it depends, obviously, what, you know, areas you're hunting and if the deer are pressured and been called to a lot and, uh, and all that. But, yeah, observing the behavior and, and being able to adapt, I think, is the, is the key for, for calling in the deer. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I feel like for me so many times it's if if you want to see them show sign that they heard it, right? You want to know at least they heard the grunt. And then that's like step one, if they know that there's something going on. And then maybe I'll give them like one more chance. And if they don't, if they show a negative reaction and it's not, if it's not the reaction I'm looking for at that point, I usually just can it. But I do find yeah. sometimes where you get you get their attention maybe with a basic grunt and they're looking and they're kind of interested maybe take a step or two towards you but then stop and then turn back and maybe make a scrape or just keep standing and look in the other direction though that's when I might throw like a more aggressive snort wheeze or something if it's a mature buck that I think might respond to that um yeah. but but yeah the body language reading that I mean that's that's the whole game right there. I think more than more important than the noises you're making is just knowing when to make them and when not to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all depends. Like I said, it's literally the mood, like the buck tonight, you know, I called to him. He heard it. He looked, he, I felt like he should have been able to see the decoy, but he must not have been able to. And he just didn't care. I watched him flick his tail, look the other way, kind of start feet off. And like how in my head, I was like, man, like, all right, I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to let him walk. Uh, this is the, this is my first day today, uh, where I'm at in Kansas. So like, you know, I don't want to get aggressive. I don't want to educate him. I don't want to, you know, push it. So I just let him walk. I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll make an adjustment moving on him tomorrow when the wind switches and, and try something different. So, um, you know, it all depends on the situation, but, uh, I, I'm trying to think if, if I've ever had a time where I like got real desperate and like, like called a bunch and like more than you probably should have. And it worked. And I don't think I've had that ever happen. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I've definitely had some times where I've called too much cause I was desperate and had it not worked though. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's exactly. That's, I was, I was, I was thinking of a few circumstances where that has happened, but man, uh, it's, yeah. it's easy to do that though too. Like you so badly want that buck to come in. Like you can see him. He's right there. Like, the opportunity feels yeah. like it's so close and you're like, well, maybe just one more will do it and he'll be right here. And I'll, my, my dreams will come true, <laughs> but it usually doesn't go that way. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Never yeah, know. You never know. Uh, hey, you, you miss a hundred, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take Mark. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Sometimes you got to try. So with, with that kind of sage wisdom, Mike, um, when you're, when you're looking back at this hunt for Bo Vice, is there anything that's, stood out to you i don't know if you've had any like time to reflect on it yet to think through the hunt and all the years you've been hunting him but is there anything that stands out like as the moment or as like you know this thing i did or this decision i made was really like the crux of it that really was the key to it all coming together is there anything that stands out as like your big aha moment or um or something you could point to like that yeah i mean it was it was literally just quit being so cautious and 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 it's the rut, make a move and do it. And, um, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard because like, like I said, we just, I just, I hate the thought of bumping deer, spooking a deer. I hate the thought of, you know, messing stuff up when we can sit back, 
you know, we can hunt smart, play the wind, do everything right, and be successful. Um, but during the rut, like, it just it's 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 there's so much that's out out of your control. Like the deer aren't on a pattern; they're not regular. They're not you know they may be in a certain area, but like they literally, if they don't have a doe, they're just cruising, just looking. And so like you know, it, it's 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 weird because everything it's not with it's not within your control like it is early late season. It's literally there you have to be lucky. Like early and late season, you can just be good and understand how deer move and understand what they're doing, and you can kill deer. During the right it doesn't matter. You have to be lucky. You have to be in the right spot at the right time. And so it's easy for people to get frustrated. And, and, and you and I talked about that not too long ago. And it's just all of us, you know, we, we, Skyler and I were talking about it the other day, like it's, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's yeah. the rut grind. Like we're not sleeping much. We're, you know, living in a tree, spending time out there. And, and it's great. You know, it's exciting. It's a fun time of year, but it can, it can get so frustrating because it's just like, man, like you just, you know, you're doing everything you can, and you just have to get lucky. So, I don't like I don't like relying on luck. Yeah, but you have to. Yeah, and just putting yourself in the position to get lucky, right? Just putting in the time and being in those places where it might just happen to to work out. And that is the name of the game at this time of year. So, yeah, man, Skyler, you uh. I don't know if it's luck or not, but whatever you had going for you, something certainly went right for you recently too. Um, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> that, that was that is a hey, buck. That was Skyler's. That was Skyler's first mature buck sighting of November, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure this season. Wow. <laughs> the whole yeah. season, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's uh, been bad. That. It's been pretty bad. Oh man. So so, what was your what what was the plan and thought process then as the rut was kicking off for you? If if you've been struggling that much, not seeing mature deer, what were things like leading up to this hunt? Well, yeah, we'd hunted so hard since basically just right there prior to Halloween a few days. We had some nice cooler weather and just still never saw any mature bucks on their feet. Love trying to get one early like that. Whenever you get some weather fronts come in and, uh, just didn't see it happen and then November one rolls around and Clayton and I were planning on hitting it pretty hard between Kansas and Missouri. We tried Kansas first for a few days and it just wasn't happening. We were seeing deer but never the right one. Um a couple of three year olds um that we were wanting to pass, never even had a chance to pass them. They weren't in bow range, but off in the distance and even tried some calling and just like you guys touched on, they they kinda weren't interested and I wasn't gonna throw the kitchen sink at him anyway because i didn't want to shoot him but um we ended up having like a three-day window where we were going to switch things up head to northern missouri and drive a few hours and get up there and we had north winds which is which are the best winds uh for the two spots that we have up there and really it was just planning on sitting in this one funnel in particular i've had this place for about 10 years now and had to stand there about seven years now I think um and just know that it's it's just a good rut funnel there's a north and south ditch that's super deep and the deer do not want to cross it like it would it's terrible um they they want to go around it and we're sitting at the top of a ridge um and then looking across another then down at the bottom is where they kind of cross and get around it so 
it's 40 yards down to the bottom in bow range, whether or not they just decide to go north and south. But if they cross it and kind of go east and west movement, then they're coming by the stand pretty close. And so um, we ended up just kind of going off of, you know, we're in, it's the rut. Let's just put our time into this funnel and see what happens. The first morning we saw one doe in the stand, uh, the same stand I ended up killing out of just two days later. Saw one doe. That evening we tried another farm and saw nothing. So we're, we're sitting there and, and saw one deer, uh, you know, first week in November and just like that. I mean, come on, seriously. That's brutal. And so, uh, the next day, um, we sat in the stand. I ended up killing in, um, the morning and the evening. We saw some decent rut activity, some small bucks chasing does. We actually kind of got into some, it was, felt kind of good. And, uh, and then that evening we only saw, I think one small buck and a doe. And so it was kind of slow that evening. And we were debating about going home because we were kind of have like a Northeast wind. And we had a couple of spots down in Kansas. We were just going to drive a couple hours and possibly hunt in Kansas. Um, just one more day before I had to go to family deer camp in Missouri. And I was like, man, we're already up here. We're in, we're in the tree. It's getting dark because we're going to leave our stuff in the tree and hunt the next morning. We're trying to make a call and, uh, we're already up here. Let's try one more time tomorrow morning. And, you know, we gave it our best shot. So we ended up leaving our stuff in the tree. And then later that night I was going through trail camera photos and I had done this prior. Um, and I knew based on last year that every couple of days in November, there was a shooter buck in the daylight. Um, sometimes more often than that even. And so I was like, man, if we can just get in there. And so this would be our third straight morning in that set. And I would think within that time frame, we'd see a shooter, maybe not get a shot, but at least see one across the ridge and call or something. And uh, so we go back in the next morning, but I, I skipped this part. I should mention it. That night I was looking at it um, and I saw pictures of this deer, the, the number one buck up there that I had. And he was there. Uh, the morning of November 8th. Uh, and that would be one year to the day, the next morning. And I text wow. these guys on the HB group text and said, like, I got a, I got a breakfast reservation with Havilon tomorrow morning. <laughs> and so just kind of joking, of course, what are the odds he does it again? And so we get into that same stand and we had some decent movement and saw a couple small cruisers uh, go by us within bow range right off the bat. So I'm like feeling good. And then two different groups of does filtered through maybe within 30, 40 minutes of each other. And, um, then it got pretty quiet and we hadn't seen a deer. I'm guessing maybe at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. It was getting late in the morning. We were talking about going home and how depressed we were going to be because it's November 8th. We've hunted eight days straight and haven't seen a shooter buck. And I said, we got to go by 10. It's 9:45, And I look up and I, I catch a flash across the ridge, like eye level, like, kind of a miracle I even saw it really just caught my eye and put the binos up on him and to see this rack you know pick his rack up and I knew it was him right away and just from that point on I, I and I knew right where he was he was coming down this trail that was going to come down to the bottom where some does had earlier so I immediately reached for my bow and a minute or two I ended up passing after I grabbed my bow and I couldn't find him again and I started thinking maybe he left and turned around and went the other way or something but then I finally caught a glimpse of him as soon as he gets down to the bottom, I'd say he's probably 50 or 60. He's not quite down to the bottom. I, I, I get the full draw because I know this is a really big buck and I'm going to get the first 
chance at him. Like first shot opportunity, I'm going to shoot. I'm I'm comfortable shooting, you know, 40 plus if I have to. And so I'm at full draws, and as he's coming down to the bottom, he stops uh, before he's down there, maybe 50. Kind of looks around, licks licks his nose, trying to decide which way he goes. Comes five yards closer, does it all again. But this time, like if he goes right, I'm kind of in jail, and I'm looking ahead. Some does had gone that way. Like if he decides to go that way, I'm going to thread the needle. Um, and then about that time, he decides to just pick his head up and he, he gets down to the bottom. This time he's in the wide, wide open. And he just flipped a, a switch and starts at a full jog and starts coming up the trail that's going to come 10 yards by the stand towards the top of the ridge where we're at. And I ended up stopping at 13 yards. And uh, at this point, it was exactly 90 seconds at full draw, um, which I think was a blessing in the end because I, I wasn't focused on his rack at all, just 100% on the shot. Um, and looking back and seeing the video now, <laughs> it he's he almost looks fake. It's it's crazy. If, if I hadn't drawn so early, I, I think I maybe would have lost it, and uh, it might not have ended out so well. But um, at 13 yards, he I got him real good and, and uh, ended up seeing him go down in sight and it was just pretty much madness after that. I, I knew it was the biggest buck I'd ever shot. Um, and so we were celebrating and I called my pop all right after that. Maybe, maybe not even a minute or two after I shot him. I just, he shot a deer years ago when I was a kid in the one seventies. And I always dreamed to shoot one like that ever since. And, uh, I dialed the line and, and got him on there and shared that moment with him. And I'm looking back at Clayton and I've been known to, to cry one time when I called my dad after I shot a buck and he is, literally bawling in the stand behind the camera <laughs> and uh i wish i had a camera on him i'll, I'll never forget it. it it's making me get you know super emotional and so it was a cool moment to share with with my papa and then clayton you know getting so worked up over it and then wow. eventually walking up to him uh i could hardly believe my eyes he's he is a whopper of an eight-pointer so yeah that's yeah. crazy like his like we like Scott has had pictures of him, had him, you know, had pictures of him last year and this year. Like we all knew, you know, you could see in the pictures, like it's a big deer, but you never, it was weird. He's a weird deer. Like, it's like, he looks almost cartoonish. It's like, you know, he looked like he had a, you know, really nice rack and a tiny body. But in reality, he had a big body and a giant rack. Like it's just really proportionate and like the mass, the time length, the beams, it, it, it's really all proportionate and so it's like one of those deals where it's just like you you just you can't really appreciate it until you see it kind of in person it's just it's pretty unbelievable yeah i mean you you see like a 10 point or a 11 or 12 point boon and crockett buck and those things have huge frames on them but then you put those kind of inches on an eight point frame and i just i can't even imagine I can't even imagine. I mean, does does the frame of this deer just dwarf anything else you guys have seen before? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I had a buddy over last night who saw it for the first time, and then we had a fish fry actually with our taxidermist uh, Bruce, and and he saw it too, and just and we, he had skull plated it for me, and we had it there at his house, and just eyeballing it, and just the people that see it for the first time can hardly believe their eyes. It, it, it really is like I had used that line before too, Mike, just like a cartoon character. Like you drew him up and it's like this fake out of this world deer. Like it's really bizarre. It still hardly feels real. Like 
he's just a monster frame with just tie length and mass that carries all the way to the end of his tines. It's, and you don't get any credit for that in the score, which um, I've never really cared too much about, but um, man, he's, he's special. He's one of a kind and once in a lifetime for sure. Yeah. What was, what was the score? I missed the, what the gross score was. Um, I got a, a gross score around 183 and then Holy my buddy crap. last night got, got 182. So we were within one inch of each other, a little less than an inch when you consider the eight. <laughs> I, I haven't had anyone like officially score him. I've been in the talks uh, with the guy about that. He's going to do that soon. Just a, just a rough score. Cause there's a 60 day drying period, but I think I'm pretty close, especially since uh, my buddy, who's pretty good about it, uh, we got within an inch of each other. So he's, he definitely grosses over 180, I can say that confidently. And then the net scores decently less. Uh, he, he's got a couple kickers that are really cool kickers, actually, below his brow tines um, that add up to be five inches, which really hurts his net score, um, which is flirting with around 170, low 170s. And... Uh, Man. But a book, you know, a net, a net, a net booner eight pointer is almost unheard of. So um, it's just nets crazy. Are and, and, I was uh, going to yeah. say nets are I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, he's one eighty. So Hell yeah. uh, oh, man. I can hardly believe I'm yeah, even saying I mean, that. Like, yeah, yeah. No, score, like I think we're all on the same page. Like, like we don't. Nobody really cares that much about the score of a deer, so to speak. But it just kind of helps put things into perspective and like. Yeah. It's unreal. Like, I mean, that that's a giant. Like, I mean, I, I don't even know if you looked up, like, like we we were looking at, like, eight-point record, like the, the biggest eight points in the world, and then I think they're all gun kills. Like, I don't even know what the biggest bow kill eight-pointer is. So it could be the biggest, could be the biggest bow kill eight-pointer in the, in the, in the books. Man, I just, I just imagined my, my vision of what the tree stand looked like after that shot was just you and Clayton <laughs> screaming at the top of your lungs back and forth to together, doing your here we go thing. Here we go. <laughs> just back and forth. <laughs> just doing that over oh, and over. Man, that's, that's funny. <laughs> it's just, uh, hey, no. it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that Skylar was in the stand past nine 30. I'll just say that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I usually get back he, in front Scott, of the computer and, and get work done. Scott so. works from home. So yeah, he, you know, he, yeah. So I was, well, stretching it. it was our, it was, it was our last, last sit of the trip. Like we were literally just sitting there like, Oh, this drive home is going to be the worst, like eight days and, and no shooters on this trip in Kansas or Missouri. And like not even all season like it. And we've put in the time in October and, I've had an out-of-state trip to North Dakota. Like, come on, what's going on? And then just like that, I mean, and I and we talked about it too in our group text. Like, you can't you can't get too down and discouraged because it could change in a matter of seconds. And you know, the right doe could come by. Either you're in or you're in them or you're not. It's chaos or it's not. And we just we're hanging our hats on that and just being in the right funnel and putting our time in and hoping it would pay off. And he he came by all by himself just just cruising i never called i never never did anything just you know just got lucky and stayed a little later than normal like mike said <laughs> yeah i'm glad that worked out um i thought that was really interesting though that he was there exactly one year to the day beforehand um exactly that, that yep. annual that annual pattern that's something that so many people i talk to now 
point to mm-hmm. is something that they're seeing more and mm-hmm. more and keying in on that and knowing like if I got a picture of this buck in this area on November 8th last year, I'm specifically going to be in that area again the 7th, 8th, 9th, somewhere around there if the conditions are right. Is that something you guys have seen in other instances? I've 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 uh heard the same thing um actually watching the jury show, they've touched on that and stuff and yeah. I started kind of paying a little more attention to it afterwards and even just this year like I was like, man, we got that north wind for three days. Let's go up there and set in those two funnels. Like, And I remember going through the folder. Mike was up there. He was with me in January when we pulled the card last year because I didn't even hunt the farm last year. Like, I put him up in July. We pulled, we shot a doe in January, Mike and I up there, and we're looking at the pictures on the drive home. Like, um, There was just incredible movement in that area in November. And like, let's just try it. And sure enough one year to the day, this buck in particular that, you know, I would have shot other deer of course, but, um, he did it again. I'm glad he did. Yeah. Mike, have you seen any of those annual yeah. patterns? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Like, uh, probably not as much like, I don't know, like in November and stuff, but like, it's funny. Like we have deer that, that every year, like will show up on our property, like around October or like, like late September, like they shut their velvet kind of deal. They move. And it's almost to the day. Like we had a, a deer, pretty like a really cool deer. We called Flat Top because the first time we ever got pictures of him, it was like middle of October. He showed up. Was I think he was like a three year old maybe, and showed up and had nothing but main beams. Like his G two and three were broke off on both sides. He was an eight pointer. The next year, showed up. I think he was a mainframe ten and had like half of his tines broke off on the, on the left side and all of them on his right side. Like he must have like a calcium deficiency or something. But we called him flat top because he was just always busted up and, and uh, we had him every year and it was within three or four days that he would show up on our property and uh, for, for three, three to four different years. So uh, it's funny how they just like, a, they just know when the time of year that the, you know, the, the amount of daylight changes and the stuff gets shifting around. They just, they know and they, they move around and go to the different areas. And then you have bucks that are, you know, they're all different personalities. You got the bucks that are like homebodies that are living in, tiny core area and they, they don't really leave there all year long and so it's it's really interesting to see um you know how different deer move and and, and shift around differently during the throughout the year yeah it's, it's uh well, i'm glad i'm glad you said that mike like this buck in particular i had pictures of him last year for the first time in, in late october and wouldn't you know october i think october 26th was like the first time he showed up this year maybe maybe the 24th, anywhere, you know, late October, within a few days of each other. And we've talked about that too. Like we know, I've had numerous bucks and I know numerous people who've had the same scenario where a deer shows up within the same week time frame, like basically every year. And so he was already kind of reading the script from last year, which led me to believe if we could get a few days in the stand, we might see him, you know? So I think there's a lot to that for sure. Yeah. So would you point to, well, would you point to this whole idea, this being taking advantage of the annual patterns or something else? If you had to kind of to the point that I asked, I asked Mike about his hunt, if you could point to any element of this hunt or this season or some decision you made or something that was, was the most important thing that led to this all coming together for you, what, what would you point to? I'd say two things. Number one, that looking back and, and just seeing the movement through a particular area based on your cameras and even observations when you've hunted there. Um, I was definitely leaning on that when we made the trip before even, you know, that was one of the deciding factors. Like 
we've got north winds for three days. Let's go up there and put in the time. And even though we didn't see but one deer the first day, and then pretty decent move the second day, and then the third day it all came together. Um, and then the fact that just in general, the first eight days, and then even before that in October with some cold fronts, like we just had not seen a shooter and, and let alone in bow range, like just nothing. And so, um, just trying your best not to get discouraged and just to put in the time when you can, cause it, it could all change in a matter of seconds. It would, we, we talked about it in our group text. I know I already said this, but like you, it can all change so quickly. It's just a matter of having the right doe in your area. And the next thing you know, you've got a, a parade of bucks, you know, you got 10 bucks coming through there in an hour or two time frame, like, cause they caught her scent and it's just chaos all of a sudden right in front of you. So either you're in them or you're not. And we were not in them for a week straight and then bam, you know, a buck of a lifetime shows up. So, yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I'm always trying to remind myself of that too. It's, it's all, more than anything else this time of year. I feel like it's almost just the mental side of things. You know, can you yeah, just can totally, you just totally. mentally tough it yeah. out? Yeah, it's it's it, it. You definitely play play mental games. I mean, you just I mean, you sit you're sitting in a stand idle, like for hours and hours and hours on end, and you get exhausted. You're you're mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. You're tired. Um, you know, contrary to what everybody thinks, none of us hunt for a living necessarily. You know, we all still have obligations outside of of hunting. So, um, you know, it's just the stress of, of everything kind of coming down on you. And so it's easy to get down and, and, and discouraged and worn out. And, um, but literally you, you look over your shoulder one minute and the next minute you look over and here comes a, a big buck. So you just never know. Yeah. I'm hoping for some of that. Cause I've had a tough run. It's I'm coming, Mark. It's coming, buddy. It's coming. <laughs> Tomorrow. Check it out. Tomorrow will be my 15th day in a row without uh, getting my running buck yet. So uh, hoping it's going to happen. But you're, even, you're evening the playing field, right? Yes, that's true. Tomorrow I will be extending my range by a significant margin. <laughs> so <laughs> There you go. That, that's, that's a big difference too. There. That'll help you. Yeah, usually I usually I stick to the stick and string, but today or, or this year I'm screw it. I need <laughs> something's got to hit the ground here soon. Even. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, tomorrow will be interesting. Um, I got one final question. I guarantee for you guys. Yeah, I was just gonna say I guarantee you if you shoot one tomorrow with the gun, you'll be just as pumped as you would be if you shot it with a bow. Yeah, I'll be a, <laughs> after all the time you put in. I will be a happy camper, that's for sure. Um, so I got one final question for you guys. Your one best piece of advice for hunting the second half of November? Because I feel like a lot of people, when they think about the rut, they're thinking just the first couple weeks. But there is a whole lot going on in the second half. Um, Some people, they'll start to fizzle out. They get tired out, worn out, or the holidays and different things like that. Um, What would would your words of encouragement or advice be, uh, I guess, Mike, if you want to kick it off first for these next couple weeks? Uh, my piece of advice would be to go to Texas cause that's what I'm doing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I really, I really am. But, uh, no, it, it, it's tough because like, yeah, uh, especially in states like Missouri, Nebraska states that have their gun season in the middle of November and man, it makes it tough. Like, you know, the, the rut should be really, really strong on the, on the tail end when, you know, when there's less does and heat and there's more competition again. And, uh, in Missouri, it's just so subdued because the deer are just so pressured, 
you know, from the gun season. And so, um, it, it can be difficult, but I've definitely had some good hunts, uh, you know, past, you know, the, the middle of November, the, the, the third week of November. And so, um, but like you said, I think a lot of it touches on people being worn out, you know, mentally, and it's hard to get, get into it. And, um, but back to the, the whole, the whole rut thing is like, you just got to put in your time and, and eventually it's going to work out. So, um, I just, you know, you just got to be in the right place at the right time, catch the right buck cruising for a doe or the right buck on a hot doe. And, uh, that, that happens and, and the competition should be getting, you know, picking back up after the, after the peak. Mm-hmm. What would you say, Skyler? Uh, I'd, I'd say a couple of things. Um, definitely don't overlook the, the end of November. I, I like it just as, as much or maybe even better. I think they start to get desperate at that time. There's only a few does maybe left and they're walking in the daylight more and more trying to find them. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to hunt Kansas and the gun season hasn't started yet. So there's not quite that pressure that Mike just touched on in Missouri. And so we get a lot of activity in our trail cameras and have had some good luck in late November. So don't get too discouraged and maybe even save some days right now. Um, when it's brutally cold, cold out, like it is right now, we're hunting in the single, uh, temp digits in the fields like with the wind chill and just it's just brutal out there like i've questioned our sanity um you know just just maybe we should hunt now and try a little harder a couple of days next week that we weren't planning on trying that sort of thing so definitely uh don't overlook the end of the month i i it's it could be really good and then i actually like uh hunting a little more back on the food plots almost like it's early season or late season like i the does tend to go there they're trying to refuel from everything that's gone on with the rut and uh they're going to come in there and check the does out that are eating or even fill up themselves from everything that, that's been going on so we've had some good luck over back over our clover plots or the turnip plants and stuff so um that's awesome. what i would say awesome well you guys have uh you've revitalized me by hearing about uh two guys who did get it done i feel like i I now have like some good vibes back on my side so uh, (laughs) i appreciate it It it's much it was much needed i've been pretty worn down so Um, yeah a little pep talk uh scott between the two of us i think we've hunted basically every day of november and we've had two opportunities three opportunities three opportunities total so it just you know they don't it doesn't happen every day just gotta right i wait for the right time I'm with my dad in Kansas right now filming him and it's been a rough couple of days. I mean, pretty, pretty slow, actually just kind of right back to it. I, I sent a, a text out to the guys is like, well, back, back to the rut grind, you know, same old, same old, not having any luck. And Sean's like, dude, be quiet. You, <laughs> you shot a world-class buck. And I'm like, I know, but still like, uh, I know this feeling all too much. So yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, I want to make sure that folks listening know where they can go to see some of your guys' stuff. Um, what would you guys point to as far as where folks can watch some of your your episodes, whether it be online or on TV? Oh, we're uh, we're everywhere, man. Uh, Facebook, Heartland Bow Hunter, Instagram, Heartland Bow Hunter. Um, that's where you know we post a lot of the the as it happens kind of stuff and. Um, Right now we're filming for, it's kind of hard to believe, we're filming for our 12th, the 12th season of our show. So uh, the new season will be coming out um, July of next year. 
and uh, so that'll be when all of our stuff that we're filming now will we'll air on Outdoor Channel. And um, we're releasing right now content on Behind the Draw on our YouTube channel, which is our mini series, just uh, just basically short, abbreviated versions of uh, of uh, the TV episodes or different content though, deer hunting stuff and big game stuff. So um, we're we're releasing those weekly uh, on our YouTube channel. So um, we're we're trying to get as much uh, much content out there as possible everywhere we can. And and um, definitely though, I think you know if you want to follow you know in the field type stuff, um, you know follow our our Instagram pages and. Uh, we're always trying to update that and keep uh, keep as much information out there as possible. So, yeah. And what about your? Uh, do you share your personal Instagrams uh, to the world, or is that uh, to try to keep? Yeah, that pri- I feel like yeah, you guys have a lot of yeah, stories yeah. and stuff there, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Actually, um, we do more stories on our personal pages than we do on the on the HB page um, on Instagram. So mine's that uh, Michael Hunsucker, I think, and uh, Skyler's is HB Skillet. Skyler got involved in the Instagram game like a couple of years later than everybody else and so he's like, he's like I gotta come up with a really good name and I don't even know how Skillet came about uh, but uh, oh I know I know he, how okay <laughs> well let's let's hear it <laughs> oh Joel remember Joel in the group text he he had a little something a little little extra drink or two and he couldn't type <laughs> Skyler. He typed skillet. And it's oh, okay. ever since. that's funny. Cause like my, yeah. So my nickname in our, in our group text is Moke instead of Mike, because yeah, he, he fat fingered Mike and, and said Moke one time and then it, it stuck, I guess. So, uh, M-O-K-E. But, Moke. Uh, that should, I'm going to change my, my Instagram handle to HB Moke. <laughs> there you go. Get with the get with the times. It's all about the HB. Then your nickname. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, anyway, yeah, we're all you know all of our guys you know are on the on Instagram and yeah we do a lot more stories on our on our personal Instagram stuff and um it's cool it's fun to you know kind of do the behind the scenes type stuff so yeah I always enjoy getting to see that stuff so you guys have been putting out some of the very best content in the hunting world for a long time now. Like you said, it's kind of crazy. It's been 12 years. Um, and you continue to do it. So I can't, uh, I cannot recommend to anyone listening. I can't recommend enough checking out what, uh, what Mike and Skyler and Sean and the whole crew are doing over HB. You guys are top notch. So thank you for spending some time with me tonight. Yeah, man. Good, uh, good to get caught up and, uh, best of luck to you. Uh, close out the season, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm going to do my best. Good luck to you guys, too. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Mark. And that is a wrap. But real quick, before I shut this thing down, want to let everybody know that for the first time in like six months, we have Wired to Hunt merchandise back and available for sale. We've got the Wired to Hunt uh, FlexFit hats. We've got Wired Hunt trucker hats with the Wired Hunt logo on the front and kind of a camo front of that hat. We have two different Wired Hunt t-shirts available, and you can get these if you go to TheMeatEater.com, go to the shop page, and then within that you're going to see Wired Hunt gear is going to be there in the apparel section. There's also a Wired Hunt collection. You can see it all in that spot too. So make sure to check it out. Hats and shirts are available. I had a lot of people asking questions about where those went. Um, took a little bit of time to get things back up and running since we made the transition over to the meat eater, but it is there now. So head on over to the meateater.com shop. 
I really appreciate your support. Thanks for wearing that swag. And otherwise, best of luck in the woods. I hope you guys have been having a great rut so far, but there's still good stuff to come in the future. So be out there in the tree, having a good time, shoot straight, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.